0: As I mentioned earlier, we are beginning a new series today from the book of Revelation, and we're looking at the seven uh, Beatitudes in the book of Revelation, but actually, it's only going to be over six sermons because today we're going to look at the first and the sixth Beatitude as they are uh, closely related. I want to begin by telling you uh, something I read in a blog. Logos, for those of you that are theologians, you recognize uh, this tool. Logos is a tool that's used by pastors and theologians and probably some others as well, but it's a theological Bible study tool, and it's very comprehensive. There's a lot of commentaries and journals and all kinds of material on there. And if you do Bible study for a living, it's probably something that you have invested in. And on their blog, uh, the blog that Logos has, the following is written. The book of Revelation is the Ezekiel, it says, of the New Testament in terms of having a reputation for being the hardest book of the Bible to understand. This is the sentiment out there that Revelation is one of the hardest books of the Bible to understand. For those of you that, that, that maybe are not in, in uh, paid forms of ministry that, that feel this way, or when you open your Bibles, you feel like, man, the book of Revelation, I just don't get it. Don't worry, you are not alone. Theologians, a lot of them feel this same way. Just get a few of our Adventist theologians in a room and ask them to come to a firm consensus on the topic of the seven trumpets in Revelation, particularly the fifth trumpet. For instance, Dr. Angel Rodriguez, who worked at our Biblical Research Institute for Seventh-day Adventists, in his article on the seven trumpets in Ministry Magazine from January 2012, Writing about the different interpretations that exist, he summarized, he writes this whole article, like a four-page article, and he summarizes his article in this way. And listen to this. This is how he concludes his article. The views summarized in this paper are all compatible with the historicist method of prophetic interpretation. He had gone over varying viewpoints on the trumpets in uh, the book of Revelation. Acknowledging this, he says, should immediately rule out dogmatic interpretations and heated discussions that could easily sacrifice Christian humility and love. Every suggested interpretation needs discussion in terms of the validity of the analysis of the biblical text and its alleged historical fulfillment. In other words, he says, I just wrote four pages on the trumpets and my conclusion is, we don't know for sure what they mean. So be gracious, but the trumpets are not the only confusing part of Revelation. What about the two witnesses in Revelation chapter eleven? There are a number of views on the two witnesses in Revelation chapter eleven. If you like theological reading, our very own Dr. Eckhart Mueller has uh, written a well-studied article, and it's in the Journal of Adventist Theological Society. Society that explores the meaning of the two witnesses, and you can research that. It's more than four pages, I will tell you. Uh, I I read it, Dr. Mueller. Uh, Or how about the three frogs in Revelation chapter 16? One that comes out of the mouth of the beast, one out of the mouth of the dragon, and one out of the mouth of the false prophets. What are all these frogs about, and why are they coming out of these things mouths? These are all things that theologians are discussing and debating and So if you feel confused, don't worry, you're not alone. Theologians are right there with you. Some of you may be sitting here thinking, I have no idea what he's talking about, two witnesses, three frogs, seven trumpets, I don't know. Some of you may say, yes, I've heard all those things, and that's the reason why I pretty much avoid the book of Revelation. But I want to say this to you, to ignore the study and application of this last book of the Bible is to your own detriment. The Bible tells us that it is a blessing from God, this book. And to to ignore this is to reject some of the blessings that God has for us. And maybe even potentially to ignore this book is to potentially put us in harm's way. So today we begin this series on the Beatitudes found in the book of Revelation. The Beatitudes of Matthew, blessed are the merciful. Blessed are uh, the humble. Blessed are are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And we know those those Beatitudes from the book of Matthew about characteristics of a believer. Well, in many ways, these are seven Beatitudes about how believers should relate specifically to this book and the things that are within this book in the last days. And so we're going to look at the first and the sixth Beatitude. Of course, the first Beatitude is found in the first chapter of the book of Revelation. And the sixth beatitude is found in the last chapter of Revelation. Revelation chapter one, beginning in verse three. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. First beatitude, sixth beatitude, Revelation chapter two and verse seven. Behold, I am coming quickly, Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. These two pronouncements, being in the location that they are, they serve, they appear to serve almost as instructional bookends for how we should consider this book. At the very beginning, I want you to to read, to understand, to to follow the instructions in this book. At the very end, everything that you just read, God says, I want you to, to understand and to keep what has been written in this book. So in other words, everything that lies between chapter 1 and chapter 22, God says he wants us to keep it, to understand it, and that doing such will be a blessing in our lives. And so let us look at what these blessings are about or what these verses teach us. In chapter 1, the verse starts out by pronouncing a blessing on the reader of the book of Revelation we could do some Jesus here, and some of the commentaries do do some Jesus, and saying, this is a blessing on anyone who ever reads this book, so, so go and read it. But, but really, John was writing to churches. Remember, he was writing to seven churches. And so when he says, blessed, uh, blessed is the reader, he's speaking about those who are going to stand in front of these churches and read this letter to the people, to the congregation. But it then says, blessed are those who, who hear who hear this book. And again, we could do some Jesus, and we could say, God is empowering John to write about something that he has no idea about. He's writing about Audible or podcasts down the road that will, that will read to you the Bible at some point in time. But I doubt that's what he's ta- talking about. He's talking about those who are in the congregations that are going to be listening Yes, it is a blessing to read. Yes, it is a blessing to hear. But, but this is not the point here. But, but then John comes to this aspect of keeping. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words. Blessed are the ones who hear the words. And also blessed are those who keep what is written in this book. Blessed are those who keep what is written in this book. The end of the Bible, end of the book of the, of Revelation chapter 22 says basically the same thing blessed are those who keep the words of prophecy of this book this is a principle actually that appears throughout scriptures throughout the scriptures James chapter 1 verse 22 tells us that we are not just to be hearers of the word but we are also to be doers of the word James chapter one, verse 22 tells us that if we are only hearers of the word and not doers of the word, we are then deceiving ourselves. In other words, if we think that simply by hearing the word, somehow that is all that needs to be done with the word of God, then we are uh, deceiving ourselves and not receiving really what the power of the word is. It, it's instruction and guide for our life and what we are spo- how we are supposed to live our lives. The words of Jesus himself in Luke chapter 11 and verse 28. Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God, and then he says, and keep it. It's more than just hearing it. Blessed are those who hear it and keep it. And now in the book of Revelation, two times it says the same thing. And it's talking specifically about the book of Revelation. Blessed are you if you keep the words that are written in this book. How are we going to know the words that are in this book if we say this is a book that I just can't understand? I'm not going to even try to touch it because, you know, I'm not gonna, I can't understand how to read this. By the way, at the end of the sermon, I'm just going to give some, some, some practical points on, on how to read and study the book of Revelation. I'm not going to go super deep on it, but some little things that you can do that hopefully will help you if you struggle with this. But to keep the word of God, to keep the, the, the things that are written in the book of Revelation, What John is saying, what Jesus is saying at the end of Revelation means to obey it. That there are things within the book of Revelation that we are to obey, instructions that we are to follow, uh, uh, teachings that that, that instruct us on how to relate to God and how to relate to others and how to understand certain truths that we are to follow. As Gregory Beale wrote in the New International Greek Testament Commentary, he wrote this, John's witness to the heavenly commentary Uh, to the heavenly commentary concerning what God has done in Christ is not intended only as an apocalyptic curiosity to tantalize the intellect, but to inform Christians about how God wants them to live in the light of recent redemptive history." One of the reasons maybe many of us may struggle with reading the book of Revelation is because we are only reading or we are only trying to read it from an understanding of what is predictive ahead of time rather than recognizing what is the blessing of Revelation in the here and now and in my personal life and in my walk with Jesus. We miss, we miss the information that entails some of the ethical obligations that are called for from the book of Revelation. To summarize, the idea of keeping then teaches us that a blessing will come on those that obey the directives from God that are contained within the book of Revelation. In other words, if we're not studying the book of Revelation at all, we miss out on those blessings. We miss out, we can't keep something we don't know. We can't keep something we don't understand. If you've ever, I've said to my kids before, why are you doing that? And I say, you should know better. They say, well, you never told us that before. And then I realize, wait, they're right. How could I expect them to keep something they don't even know? They haven't heard about. They haven't, they haven't learned about. In the same way, we can't keep it if we don't know what is in this book. What this also teaches us then, here that John here in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 3, and when Jesus says it in Revelation chapter 22 and verse 7, when it speaks of the words of Revelation as prophecy... John and Jesus are not doing so only with the concept of of future predictive events. The book of Revelation is not simply a collection of Nostradamus-like predictions of the future. There are other things that are entailed in the book of Revelation. Think about it. In the Old Testament, when the prophets prophesied, what were they most often doing? They were most often addressing issues that related to the people's lives in the here and now. And they were calling on people to respond to God and to his teachings and to his ways to the things that are happening in the here and now. The prophets of the Bible, when they were prophesied, they say, I come to you and I prophesy, they were not always telling about something that was way off in the future. In the same way, when we study the book of Revelation, one of the things we'll discover is that there is so much in the book of Revelation that addresses situations and and circumstances that are happening in the here and now and gives us insight on how to respond to those situations. For instance, in the book of Revelation, we can learn principles about worship. And when you think about worship, don't limit it to, to the word and think, think it's only, don't limit that word to thinking that's only what we do here. When it teaches about worship, it's teaching us about how to live and worship to God in a multitude of ways, in, in our lives, in, in right relationship, how we look at God, how we think about God. The first three picture, uh, chapters of Revelation paint a picture of what faithful churches and what faithful church members look like and live like, and also what unfaithful and unfaithful faithful churches and unfaithful members look like and live like if we just looked at the principles in the first few chapters of revelation on how a church is supposed to look and what a church is supposed to do just those principles alone and we said you know what we're going to apply these principles to our church Ephesus we're going to be loving to Laodicea we're not going to be lukewarm we're going to be passionate and on fire for the word of God if you just applied those two principles alone to any church almost every church will be different That's instruction on how to live in the here and now. But if we say, you know, Revelation, I don't really understand what this is all about and I can't get anything out of it, then we miss all those instructions on the things that God calls us to keep. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it. Blessed, behold, I am coming quickly Blessed is he who keeps the words of prophecy of this book. Prophecy here entails more than just predict a future. But Revelation does contain predictive future as well. And this book says that it is important for us to understand these things. Because in the first beatitude, it says, John says one of the reasons why we should desire to keep and to know and to understand all these things is because the time is near. And he's speaking here of the the end of time or the, the culmination of all things. And when Jesus says it in Revelation chapter 22, he starts off by saying, Behold, I am coming quickly. Both of these were indicating the shortness of history and the need to be ready, to understand what is coming so that we can be ready for when history ends. In one commentary I read addressing John's statement of the end being near, the, commentary writes, the commentator writes this, and this is a, a commentary set that normally I like and I appreciate, but this, this I found uh, challenging. When John said the time is near, this is what the commentator writes, he meant the time for the happening of all the events his letter envisions, including the return of Christ, the destruction of evil, and the everlasting glory of the new world. He meant both soon and end. And then the commentator asks this question. Does this mean, speaking of John, does this mean he was wrong? And then the commentator answers his own question. Yes. He says John was wrong. He says John, John didn't know what he was talking about. The commentator then continues. Listen to this. The air should not continue. Just as Christians need not promote flat earth societies on the basis of Revelation chapter 7 and verse 1. Please don't look that up right now. If you want to know about flat earth societies in Revelation chapter 7 and verse 1, you can look that up later. There are actually people that still believe in a flat earth. If you're one of those people, I love you, God bless you, but that's just weird. So, he says, just as Christians need not promote flat earth societies based on Revelation chapter seven and verse one, so they need not feel bound to believe. Listen to what he says. They need not feel bound to believe in the nearness of the end on the basis of Revelation chapter one and verse three, because John was wrong. So we don't need to believe about the nearness of of Jesus coming. We don't need to believe in this nearness of things. But if you think about it, in some ways, some people would say, well, he's right, because John wrote this in the first century. We're now in the 21st century, That doesn't seem near. But was John in error? If John was in error, then was Jesus in error? In Revelation chapter 22 and verse 7 when he says, Behold, I am coming quickly. Jesus says those words thousands of years ago. First century, 21st century. So was Jesus wrong? Was John wrong? It's this concept of of time in in these moments. I mean, Behold, I am coming quickly, and now thousands of years have gone by. I go, well, that doesn't seem too quick. It's kind of like my wife and I. When when she writes me, she texts me, and she says, are you coming home soon? And I'll write back to her. I'll text her back, and I'll say, yes, I'm on my way. My wife has been married to me now, uh, not almost. We've been married 16 years, and we've been together close to 20, or I don't know. We've been together longer than that. But 16 years, and so she knows me well enough. She says, "Are you are you are you coming home soon?" I'll say, "Yeah, I'm 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 uh, I'm, I'm uh, headed home." And then she'll follow that up with this question: "Have you left your office?" <laughs> and then after that question, she'll say, "Are you talking to someone?" And then after that question, she'll write, "Are you in the car yet?" Because she knows that if I haven't left my office, it might be another couple hours. And I'm coming, yeah, I'm on my way home. To me, it means I'm on my way home. And to her, it means like maybe a couple hours later from now. Quickly, it has, has variances to it. And in the same way, probably we don't understand God's concept totally of time. But I do believe Jesus is coming in my lifetime. And I do believe that he is coming soon. But even if he Doesn't within the chronological aspect of time what John wrote, the time is near, the end is near, and what Jesus said, Behold, I am coming quickly. This is all still true. We should still share in John's sense of urgency, we should still share in in the sense of urgency that comes from Jesus, the sense that our generation. Is the only generation in which we have to fulfill the calling that God has given us to proclaim the message of this last book of Scripture. God put us in this place at this time to help people in this generation understand all the things and receive all the blessings that God has for us from this book. You only have this generation now, and then your end is near, and then Jesus is coming quickly. If you walk out of these doors and you die today, the next thing you see is the face of Jesus. That is pretty quick. That's quick. In first service, Heidi Wetmore prayed for us. And she prayed, Lord, and please be with Pastor Stewart. And I grabbed her. as She walked by and I said, don't say Pastor Stewart. That's pushing me over a line to, you know, chat or Pastor Chad, but when I hear Pastor Stewart, I think to, I'm moving into a whole new section of my life. Like I have a grand, I had a grandpa Stewart, and my dad's Dr. Stewart. Those are old guys. I know I'm getting a little more gray, but it's not the case. But there is a the reality that, that as I do move along, that my quickly is even quicker. And so is yours. And so we share with this sense of urgency. John says, understand these things, keep these things, because the time is near, and your time is near, and my time is near. We only have this generation, this lifetime. Jesus says, behold, I am coming quickly, and he is coming quickly, because when we fall asleep in Jesus, the next thing when we wake up, we see the face of Jesus, and that is quick. That is quick. So how can we be blessed? Blessed. How can we be blessed if we don't spend some time understanding this book of Revelation? How can we be blessed if we don't spend the time getting familiar with the book of Revelation? How can we avoid some of the deceptions that that God is trying to keep us from if we don't spend some time learning and studying the book of Revelation? I think God put this first beatitude in the sixth beatitude, in the places that he did at the beginning of the book and at the end of the book in order to remind us of the importance in understanding what is written between those two passages. Now I could say to all of you, here's your challenge. Go home and read the book of Revelation. And you might get through a few chapters and then you'll be kind of, okay. I don't know if I can do this anymore. Some of you might get through the whole thing and come to the whole thing, and at the very end of it, you'll say, What was that? What did I just read? So I want to close with some practical suggestions just for studying the book of Revelation. For all of us, but some practical suggestions. The first one is this When you open to the book of Revelation, one, I would say start at the beginning. This is not one of those books you want to open somewhere in the middle. I mean, you know, we've all done that, right? We've all had those moments where we wake up a little late and we say, okay, well, I've, I want to get in a little bit of time with God, and so we, we flip open our Bibles to some place and we say, okay, you know, this is not probably the best Bible study method, folks, and I know some of you do this a lot, like, eh, there, okay. I don't know what that even says. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and all. You may say, wow, that's good. I want that. Revelation is not a book that you should probably do that with. You know, you open it up and you're like, okay, yeah, I'm going to open it up to to just randomly, okay, Revelation chapter 16, then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling seven angels, go and pour out on the earth the seven bulls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bull on the earth, and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshiped his image, and you say, okay, God, thank you for this blessing for this morning. Or the next day you open it up and you go, okay, chapter 17, um, a great prostitute and a beast. Interesting. It's a little bit different than, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Little different than that one. Revelation is not a book just to, like, drop into, right? And it's not a book to be read in a rushed manner. So the first instruction I would have is start at the beginning and take it slow. Take it slow. Read the book of Revelation when you have a little bit of time to to ingest it to ingest it if you only have a few minutes pick up and pop into the psalms but when you have a little bit of time take some time to read through revelation secondly revelation becomes clear with repetition revelation becomes more clear with repetition so don't think I can read through the book of Revelation, I didn't understand any of that, I'm not going back there again. Our brains don't often spend time in apocalyptic literature. I know there's some kids that have probably seen some movies that are full of apocalyptic things and play video games. Hopefully none of your kids and none of us are doing those things. But, but most of us don't spend time with a material like Revelation, most of us aren't reading about frogs crawling out of mouths and, 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 and the two witnesses and all these things, and we're not spending time in these aspects of things. In 2018, when I started my uh, doctorate, uh, the first year when I was doing my first coursework, I was really slogging through uh, the material, some of the reading that I was having to do because my brain has not been spinning as much time in that type of of academic writing. You understand, like, there's writing that was written for academic type of settings. And my mind had not been in that area as much, reading in those things. And so some of the terms that were being used, theologians, you know, they like to use complicated terms. Like, if someone was here and they were presenting a paper on the Beatitudes of Revelation, they might stand up and say something like, the macarisms of Revelation are sevenfold. And you'd go, the what? Is that some type of cookie, you know, mac, macaron, What I don't know. No, macarism is simply a word that theologians like to use to talk about a blessing. I mean, that's, that's what that is. We, you know, so, so I'm reading through these things, and that first year I was really slogging through and having to pause and look things up. Okay, I remember that word, but I don't remember what it's about. Well, now a year in, this next year I found that I'm going through the material much easier because my, my brain's become adapted to that type of Reading. When you go back to school, Juliana, you're going to understand this. Your brain's going to adjust to that different type of thing. Revelation is similar. Revelation, I believe, is similar. That it needs uh, repetitive exposure. You need to be exposed to it again and again to begin to pick up on the various nuances in it. I had a professor by the name of Larry Lichtenwalter who was also the, church of the uh, pastor of the Village Church in Berrien Springs, Michigan. And he memorized the entire book of Revelation because he said memorizing it helped him to be able to put the different pieces together. Because as he was reading one part, he could then recall something else that he had read and it would help him put it together. Now some of you might not be at that place where you're ready to memorize the entire book of Revelation. But you can read things over and over again, and your brain will work to to kind of build that, that repetition in. My third suggestion for reading Revelation and studying Revelation is this. Read the rest of your Bible. Because the book of Revelation, unlike any other book, is really full of other parts of the Bible, in the Seventh-day Adventist commentary, for instance, Francis Nichol wrote this, that the book of Revelation contains citations from or allusions to 28 of the 39 books of the Old Testament. There are 505 such citations and allusions, he says. Some 325 are which, which are to the prophetic books of the Old Testament. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel in particular Of the minor prophets, references to Zechariah, Joel, Amos, and Hosea are most common. Of the books of the Pentateuch, greatest use is made of Exodus. And of the poetic sections, Psalms. So if you're reading in the book of Revelation and you come to to Revelation talking all about Babylon and and Babel, maybe go all the way back to the book of Genesis and, and study about the Tower of Babel. Maybe go back to the book of Daniel and study about... the the arrogance and the haughtiness of of Nebuchadnezzar at the beginning of Babylon's history. Maybe study some of these things and then start to get familiar with some of that history and language. And then when you go back to Revelation, you'll have a clearer understanding of these concepts and these textures of things. When you read about frogs coming out of beast's mouths in the plagues, maybe go back to the plagues in Exodus and, and explore those aspects of things after you've done these things, then I would encourage all of you to not do something. Don't go to the internet, all right? Because of Revelation's unusual style in New Testament writing especially, everyone and their mother has a theory about the book of Revelation. I go to a Baptist seminary. I love our Baptist brothers and sisters for my doctorate. But they literally say, I've heard this in class. You know what, we don't really understand that. That's for way off down the road, And they put it in some context that I can't even begin to to comprehend based on what I've learned and studied over the years. Everyone has their their theories. And in some cases, these theories can be just downright silly. And in other cases, they can be somewhat deceptive and dangerous. If you want some help in reading the book of Revelation, I'd encourage you to to get a good Revelation commentary. Maybe the one by Ranko Stefanovich. Or you can look up questions on the website at the Seventh-day Adventist Biblical Research Institute and see if they have wrestled with some of those same questions that you have wrestled with. But let me say this. Never let other sources replace your own study. Never let other sources replace your own study. The Bible doesn't say, blessed are those who let others study for them. It never says that. It doesn't say, blessed are those who have learned how to keep the teachings in this book and then told you how to keep them without you even understanding what's in the book yourself. We need to wrestle with these things and understand these things. So use these things as a tool, but, but test everything and, and learn everything. And you know how you do this? There's this little thing that's available to all of us. It's not Logos. You don't have to pay any money for it. It's this little thing. It's called Prayer. And it's called the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, if God inspired John to write these things, then surely he wanted you to understand them. And so he will inspire you to understand them as well. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to be a pastor. If we pray and we ask God to give us insights and to to teach us, then, then the Lord will open up and give us understanding into this book that can seem so complicated. So here is the challenge. Today, maybe you should go out this afternoon or sit out on your back deck or whatever it may be. Maybe start today to, to begin to study the book of Revelation. Not just to learn, not just to look for for some crazy, not crazy, I shouldn't use that word because I don't think they're crazy. Not just to look for some future predictive prophecy thing, but just begin to study and ask the Holy Spirit to teach you, and to open your eyes to understanding what he has for you in the book of Revelation. Study not just to learn, not just to have wisdom, but study to keep the things that are written in this book. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. And behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of prophecy of this book. And if at any moment, folks, you start to struggle, I want you to go all the way back to the very first verse of the book of Revelation. What is this all about? What is this all about? Go very, all the way back to the very first verse of the book of Revelation. The revelation of Jesus Christ. I don't understand what this is saying. Teach me what it teaches. Holy Spirit, help me to understand what it teaches me about Jesus. All the way back. The reason why this is a blessing to understand this book is because when we truly understand this book, we know and we love Jesus more. I can testify to that by my own life and by my own study of this book. And I know others as well that can do that. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for this wonderful scriptures that you have given us. And we thank you for this last book of the Bible. Yes, it is complex. Yes, it can be overwhelming at times, Lord. But but help us to be patient and help us to pray and, 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 and trust the power of the Holy Spirit to bless us as we learn more about Jesus through the study of this book. We love you, Lord. Bless us as we go through this series and learn more about what it means to live as believers and as Christians in relation to the teachings of the book of Revelation. In your name we pray, amen.